You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Welcome to today's Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson. I'm the founder and director of Dietitian Connection. It's my pleasure today to have Amanda Clark with us. Amanda is the founder of Great Ideas in Nutrition, an award-winning practice of dietitians, nutritionists, and exercise physiologists located on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. And Amanda is also the creator of the internationally famous diet plan, Portion Perfection, which is designed for women, men, and children. And I see Amanda every year at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics FINSI conference. Um, even though we only live an hour away from each other, we catch up in the US every year. So I'm looking forward to seeing you again this year, Amanda, in October. And today, Amanda is going to be talking to us about her journey as a successful business owner and leader, not only in Australia, but also in the US. So welcome and thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. Thanks, Marie. And it is bizarre, isn't it, that we need to go to Nashville to really get time to talk. Exactly. But we will plan a little rendezvous in Chicago as well this year. Absolutely. So just to get us started today, could you just tell us a little bit about your career path and journey and sort of take us right back to the start and why you became a dietitian? Yeah, sure. Well, it was actually a an unusual path in that um, I was always going to be a lawyer and I started university, I didn't actually get into law, uh, so I started with science and by second year I could have changed into law but I had other friends who were studying law and I saw the books that they were reading and there was no pictures in them. So I quickly decided that wasn't really for me and science just made sense and that led me to dietetics. And what a great career you've had since then. So um, in terms of I think you started – in, in the hospital setting, was that right? Yeah, I did. I started out in the central west of New South Wales out at Condoblin, which I just loved. I covered a few hospitals, did a lot of travelling and uh, then went to Bathurst and then to Mwilumbar. But I really found that working in the hospital that we didn't help as many people as we could. You know, we were pretty inefficient with our times. You know, we'd run a an outpatient clinic, you know, two days a week for four hours or something. And I really felt that if we could get rid of a lot of the paperwork and stuff that we could help a lot more people. So um, I'd always really wanted to be in charge, you know, be in private practice. And so once I had children, I really wanted that flexibility as well. So I started up practicing from home and that was good. I, I lived in a very small area. I lived in Pottsville um, on the coast, uh, a small village and I practiced from home and I had my sign out the front, but I, I always felt a little uncomfortable having a sign out the front. I felt like I was on display every time I was in the front yard and, you know, I was afraid to walk outside mm. in my slippers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I did actually have a, um, a truck driver once who was a, a client of mine and he was, um, he, he must have done night driving or something as I recall. And I was, I think I would start my clinic at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning, but he would finish his run at like half past five. So he would be sitting out the front of my house from five thirty. And as soon as the lights came on downstairs, <laughs> he would be knocking on the door to see if he could come in early. So 
I found that a little stressful and I think that was when I decided it was time to get some professional rooms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd I'd also um, always kind of been intrigued by the idea of being a shopkeeper. So um, at that same time when the kids were little, I'd set up a mail-order bookshop for dietitians. You might remember through the CAA, I used to put a catalogue in there Mm -hmm. and I I could be seen on my lounge room floor packaging up books uh, at night after the kids had gone to bed. Mm -hmm. So I've pretty much continued with all of that with consulting, product sales, and then I've added publishing and product manufacture. Mm. So I think you were the first person to have a storefront, if I remember correctly, Um, and I guess that was – because you didn't want to have your, you know, your clinic to be at home anymore. Um, were there other reasons that you decided to do that? Yeah, because I had actually moved into doctor's surgery. So I was then in four different or five different locations around the coast. And um, those were the days before laptops. And so I actually carried a, um, a suitcase with wheels, those old-fashioned wheels that don't roll particularly well. Mm-hmm. And I had all my patient files in there. I had every handout I could possibly need on that day. And I had these um, custom-made scales that could weigh people up to 300 kilos. So they needed quite a big platform. But they were custom-made for me to be as light as possible. But they were still about 12 kilos. So by the time you added all that together, I was lifting in and out of the car once or twice or four times a day, uh, about a 30-kilo bag. So. Mm. It really appealed to me to just have one location um, and I wanted it to be somewhere visible. I didn't want it to be hidden in a medical centre where only people who happened to be at the medical centre ever saw it. Mm. Um, you know, also when I carried all my stuff around, I had, you know, I had my mail order book service but I never had those books with me in the clinics to sell to clients. So by having a bookshop, I could have the books actually available for the clients. I could control what was available in the waiting room. I could control how much the receptionist knew about what we did and made sure that they could explain exactly um, what was in ta- involved in a consultation. Mm. So, yeah. Fantastic. And you, you mentioned a little briefly there sort of the different, um, I guess, products and services you offer within Great Ideas in Nutrition. Could you maybe just give us a little mm. bit more detail on each of those and maybe what your week looks like? Sure. Well, I guess um, uh, I developed the Portion Perfection products over about the last 13 years. So I developed the Portion Plate back in 2004. And because I already had the mail order bookshop, I already had an outlet for it. And that went quite well. And I was actually trying to get that into retail shops. And so I was going down the path of trying to figure out how to get it into pharmacies. And so I figured I needed packaging and I needed some kind of brochure in there that told people what to have for breakfast and what to have for morning tea and what have you. And uh, so I thought, okay, I have to write a brochure to go with this to tell people everything to eat. And then because I had a bookshop, I used to get the – the pre-release catalog. So as a bookshop, you receive a catalog three months before the books are actually um, published and you place your orders. So then they actually arrive on release day. And I'd seen a book in there called Maverick Marketing. And uh, I ordered that. So it showed up three months later. And that gave me some great ideas about um, instead of writing a brochure, that I should actually write a book because Mm -hmm. 
I don't understand the pharmacy industry, but I understand the book industry and I know how it works and I know how bookshops place orders for books. So I could comply with that quite easily. So I, I developed all of that. So these days I consult just two days a fortnight and the rest of my time I'm managing the business, I'm creating new products, I'm involved in the manufacturing and the sourcing, um, proofreading, all of that. And I really find that fun. Mm. And I'm sure you've learned a lot through the publishing journey. Any tips for us budding authors? <laughs> sure. Um, I think the greatest tip is that uh, I, I was told by several of my mentors that you don't write books to make money, that writing books only gets your name out there so you can then get the jobs that earn you money. But self-publishing is a little different and so long as you've got the outlet and I was lucky enough to already have that outlet already have the database who are going to be interested in my products um, that you can make money so I've proven them wrong um, and I think that my greatest tips would be that if you're going to self-publish to make it look really professional so have a good look at what a, a, pub, a professionally published book looks like and imitate that and get yourself a really good editor so that you sound good too. And in terms of, I think, you know, most people start off self-publishing these days, but do you have thoughts on self-publishing versus going with a publisher? Well, I think going with a publisher gives you the opportunity to, uh, to have a bestseller quite quickly because they have the outlet. You know, there's less and less bookshops, and I actually pulled my books out of the bookshops just because I knew that that industry was going downhill and at some point someone was going to close down and owe me $30,000. So I just decided that I, I wouldn't stay there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think you've got you've to have the outlet. You've got to have the audience already. So I think people who develop their blog um, and develop the followers in their area of interest and then write the book, I think that's a great um, direction mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great tip that you you need to have an audience first. Mm. And so, how do you come up with all of your new ideas? <laughs> um, I sit on planes, mm -hmm. um, and that's a real silent time for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not often I watch a movie, um, but I take a notebook, mm -hmm. and that's where the ideas flow there or sitting over on the beach. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love getting on the plane and not having the email anymore. That's you too. <laughs> yeah, Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do cruises for that reason as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Mm. Interesting. So I can appreciate your beach time there, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to try that. Yes. And so in the last couple of years, I know you've looked to, you know, strategically expand into the US. So just some ideas on how, how do you even begin to do that? Yeah. Well, I guess my reason for doing it was to just get access to an even bigger audience with an even bigger problem. Um, how I did it? Well, I went over to the US um, four years ago to the Obesity Week conference and I made sure I met up with dietitians over there. I took my products. I showed them what I had and I asked them, did they already have something like this or was this something they were interested in? And they showed amazing interest and 
you know, I made some great contacts while I was over there and I enlisted the help of um, many of those original dietitians that I met to help me to Americanize the content. Um, I think I've still got a way to go with Americanizing the content. I think there's things we don't understand. But um, anyway, it's been a learning experience and it's growing slowly. So um, I'm pretty happy with having tried that anyway. Mm-hmm. And in terms of other assistants, um like, do you have to know the legalities and regulations or it's purely just a matter of making sure it's Americanized from the content standpoint? Uh, no, you're very right. Um, I did enlist the help of um, uh, Trade Start, um, which helped me to – they have an exporters scheme to help people to um, find new markets um, they're not so focused on America and some of the information they gave me for America, you know, wasn't spot on. Um, so a lot of it I've had to figure out myself by making mistakes. But um, anyway, it's it's a journey and you do need some you do need some help to to start guiding as to what the requirements are, including requirements for um, for exporting from Australia, for importing into the US. For tax situations, mm, mm. you really need to. You don't want to run into the IRS in the wrong, um, in the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So, in terms of obviously going into new markets as well, the types of marketing and advertising that you might do to, you know, let people know about your products and services. Yeah, well, I think engaging with the opinion leaders and the potential referrers. So, um, I guess I would um, strategically. Uh, be involved in conference presentations or exhibits. Um, and then apart from that, uh, you know, we do email marketing, um, Facebook. My son has helped me with my website um, throughout his uh, school and then he did a marketing degree. He's 25 now and works in the digital marketing industry and he's been a tremendous help with my website um, specifically the search engine optimization, which really saves you money mm-hmm. on uh, advertising. Mm-hmm. I actually went to a session on SEO last night. It's, it's fascinating to know the complexity involved. So Yeah, and I think it's become too complex for me, so I'm really <laughs> pleased to have Brody. Yeah, um, exactly. And I, and I guess the other thing we've just done is um, we've just started a podcast mm-hmm. um, in our area of interest, which is um, bariatric surgery. And how many episodes have you done? I think we've just, or we're about to release episode eight. Fantastic. And we've managed to get, um, I think we've had 6,000 downloads. We've got, uh, we started a Facebook group and we've got 5,000 people, I think, sitting on that Facebook group now Mm -hmm. from the US and Australia. Wonderful. So, yeah, it's just up to us now as to how we treat them and, and, uh, how we, how we make this sustainable. Mm. So, what's the name of the podcast for those who might be interested in listening in? Oh, thank you. It's called Beyond Bariatric Surgery, Everything You Need to Move On. Excellent. And we'll include that in our show notes as well. Thank you. So, in terms of, you know, you're running a very successful business, any lessons or bits of advice you'd give to those who are, you know, it's just sort of starting out in their own business? Yeah. I, I I think it's worthwhile thinking about multiple income streams because there are times in the market where something falls flat and it might be that um, 
you know, you've got problems with product or that I've got problems with product. Um, it might be that there's a downturn in consulting or, you know, a, um, a particular referral source who sends you a lot of people goes on extended holidays. You know, those things can really muck up your, uh, your business. So having multiple um, streams and budgeting for, for those times, knowing what your expenses are and putting some away. Um, yeah, and just maintaining a professional presence, I think. Mm-hmm. We actually did a Facebook Live this morning about um, steps to consider before starting a business and one of the tips was to know your expenses. So mm. you definitely need to know what's coming out and what's going in, yeah. And I think it's surprising the number of people who don't actually know. No, like, they I don't. I can tell you off the top of my head yeah. but I, I definitely know all the components and um, how often those bills come in and how much I need to siphon into another account to be able to pay them on time. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's always when the tax bill comes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm making sure. And you I think have... that's a real risk when mm-hmm. you're not you don't not paying payg. Yeah. Mm. Yes, exactly. And so, then I'm guessing in a um, in a business that you've come across some challenges and just wondering how you overcame those. Ooh, well, I guess I've had lots of challenges over the last thirty years. I would say the the biggest ones have been the change in the in the dietetic consulting industry in the you know one to one clients the 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 number of dietitians being trained the the whole Medicare system you know I still get people coming in um, believing that a dietitian should be free to see um, which I think has been a really negative thing for the whole industry. I think the the setup makes it really difficult for people to specialize. They have to see everything that's sent to them by their medical center. And I, I think I think it's a problem potentially for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly experienced um, breaches of my intellectual property. Um, you know, some of them you act on, some of them you keep up your sleeve, some of them you can't do anything about. Um, but that's always a bit of a challenge. Uh, there's been staffing challenges, stock challenges, challenges with referral sources. You know, somebody who's sent you a lot of people moves away um, or closes down. You know, they're, they're all things that, you know, I prefer not to think too much about. Mm-hmm. Is there any ways that you, you know, avoid thinking about it and staying resilient? I th- I think that it is my, my natural demeanour to mm-hmm. – um, to be an optimist um, but I do try to just deal with one problem at a time when when there are too many things at one time I just put some of them apart aside and just work my way through the first one and then tackle the next one and you know I think that stops me from being overwhelmed yeah definitely and in terms of the, the bigger system and the profession do you have any thoughts on what we might be able to do well, you know, I think I think a a system that had that that brought dietitians together into one practice. You know, the I think the idea of the model was that there or is that there's a dietitian in every doctor's surgery and so the patient only has one place to go to. Mm-hmm. But that place is then not well set up for that profession. Mm-hmm. Um 
But by having dietitians co-locate, it would mean we could share resources and have the best tools that dietitians can't carry around to every medical mm-hmm. centre with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, we could specialise. Mm-hmm. We could have um, more senior dietitians to help and mentor the younger ones where at the moment you know, we're almost all in competition in a local area. Mm. So it's 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 difficult. I, I, I don't know how to fix it. But mm. I do think the Medicare system could work a lot better if they if they um, employed practices to offer a clinic on particular days that is a Medicare bulk build clinic if that's what they really want. So that, you know, they knew that there's a renal clinic in um in Annerley on a you know, one Thursday a month and there's a renal specialist dietitian sitting in there and that Medicare paid us for the whole day regardless of whether people showed up or not and enabled us to write our reports and communicate with doctors and give some people more time and some people less time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's just my thoughts. Yeah, so it sounds like we need to collaborate where possible as a profession and, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think we're being split apart too much and I, I don't think it's helping us mm. interesting thoughts I th- yeah i do think there's a lot of challenges out there so if we can come up with some solutions that's fantastic and maybe it, people listening might have some other ideas and you could share that with us on facebook so again as a successful business owner and entrepreneur what sorts of characteristics do you think people need to have in order to start their own business well, certainly, um, realism. Um, you, I think you really need to be able to, um, create a vision of almost anything you do. You need to picture how it's going to work and what are the details of that to make it work. Um, certainly being persistent. If you give up too quickly, then there's a whole lot of missed opportunities. Uh, you do need to be resilient. And, uh, I certainly find that, um, my optimism and, my efforts to be calm under pressure uh, really contribute. Mm-hmm. Again, any tips on how to stay calm when I'm under pressure? Sometimes I'm not not calm up. Yeah, well, I, I something that I do is I make a list of all the things that um, that I have to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that when I put everything on the one page, I feel quite overwhelmed and quite stressed. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I uh, list them from, you know, number. I put a number one beside the ones that have to be done today and mm-hmm. number two by mm-hmm. ones that could be done somewhere during the week and a number three by ones that I don't want to forget but, you know, it's somewhere in the future. Mm-hmm. And if I then just reorganise my list into the, just those ones right. and make sure it's short enough, then I feel that that I can be calm and take things one at a time and get through things better. Mm-hmm. Great tip. And any other habits that you think have contributed to your success? Um, I think that uh, I guess it's not specifically a habit, but I, I certainly see um, the way I treat my staff as being really important. You know, your staff um, contribute so much, and this this might be your own staff, or it might be the staff at the medical centre that have the ability to do something for you. You know, to represent your business. Um, treating them really well, um, I think is important. You know, we all spend so much time at work that you really want it to be an enjoyable experience and then you, you get the best out of people. Um, and I think my working from home also removes me from distractions, 
um, puts me in my home. You know, we all create these beautiful homes and then we go to work for so many hours of the week. (laughs) So um, I think just being at home and um, being able to go for a walk when I want and, you know, I'm still technically working when I'm walking because I'm thinking about things. Mm -hmm. By the time I come back, I've got it all figured out. Mm Mm-hmm. I've started listening to podcasts on my walks, so yeah, yeah, it's a great yeah. great time to utilize. Yes. And any interesting facts about you to end our discussion today? Well, I guess um, I guess something that's uh, non dietetic that might be interesting about me is that I just am in love with France. So I've been to France three times now. I house swap, so I've. I've um, met some wonderful families from France who have come out and stayed in my house and I've stayed in theirs and I've got a a trip planned for winter next year and I hope to do that regularly. Sounds wonderful. Is there anything specific about France? Can you narrow it to why you think France is the country for you? Yeah, I I think I love the attitude to food Mm -hmm. potentially. Mm -hmm. They seem to really care for the quality of their food, how their livestock are raised. Um, yeah, they, they've got that conscious eating thing happening. Um, you know, I got to spend time with a, a family, one of the people that I had swapped with on a previous occasion. We went to stay with them and they had 12 family members in the house at the time that we came to wow. stay. So that was an amazing experience for me to really experience eating in a French home. We all took turns in cooking. There was a three-course meal at lunch and dinner every day. Mm, There was mm -hmm. wine at lunch and dinner. But the amount of alcohol was like we had two bottles of wine between 14 people. Mm, So mm -hmm. nothing like what would happen at an Australian dinner party. (laughs) My cousin actually married a gentleman from France and they lived just outside of Paris and I visited them once and you know they they come home the kids and the the workers come home for lunch as well yeah you know it's yeah amazing yeah yeah and then that that three course lunch you know for a couple of hours yeah it's be something would be terrific if we could replicate here yeah I love it I I think it's probably pretty inefficient in terms of work maybe I don't know I maybe they're more maybe. productive in there I don't know, I think there's some Mm. economical problems over there. (laughs) (laughs) So so I'm not sure. I think Mm. they also take eight weeks holiday a year. So I like their attitude. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else you'd like to share with us, Amanda, before we leave today? I think that probably wraps me up. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to learn a little bit more about your business, Great Ideas in Nutrition, and the Portion Perfection products and we will include links to those on our show notes for those who are interested and also your new podcast and uh, really appreciate your time and wish you all the business success in the in the years to come and i look forward to seeing you at fincy in chicago in a couple of months thank you i look forward to seeing you too and thank you for everything you do for dietitians i think you're wonderful oh thank you so much amanda and look forward to seeing you soon okay bye. bye Thank you as well to all the listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, we love receiving your feedback and also would love to hear what you think of the show. So if you could leave a review for us and also pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends, it will be much appreciated. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast.